Chapter Four of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Who Healeth All Thy Diseases. For the rest, he said again with a rare smile on his face, "I wish I could tell it to you, but it is beyond words. I am afraid you will never hear the story." mother he used no medicine asked no questions said not a dozen words but they were words for me they burned into my soul then he added a direction what do you think i was to rise and walk mother and daughters each uttered an exclamation very like dismay it is true that they had seen him walk twice across the room they knew that the impossible had been accomplished yet to hear the story from david's own lips and to learn that the result had followed a simple direction seemed beyond belief you must wonder how i dared to try he began after a moment of silence but no sooner had i heard the words than i knew that i could obey them i felt a strange thrill in these long unused limbs of mine a sense of strength and power without a second's hesitation i sprang up before them all and walked walked that is putting it mildly mother i ran like a schoolboy i jumped i think i even shouted i knew then as well as i do now that i could walk as far and as fast as any man among them without the living witness before their eyes how could they have believed such a story it seemed almost impossible even while looking at him yet there he was apparently in the full glow of health and strength older he looked than when he had sat at the family table with them before but certainly not less vigorous also there was a new look on his face that the ever watchful mother had never seen there before a restful quieting look it made her feel that here was one to shoulder some of her burdens for her but she did not understand it the youthful david had not been thoughtful for others and nobody had leaned on him he had little more to tell they had the story he assured them so far as it could be put into words the waiting had been long but the act itself had been accomplished in a moment and he had moved away and given place to others the listeners questioned and cross-questioned and could not be satisfied they went over each detail as though they would never be weary of hearing of it yet they could not understand suddenly francis asked the all-important question david how does he explain his extraordinary power who is he her brother turned toward her a peculiar light on his face and some quality in his voice that she could not quite interpret yet his words were simple enough i do not know what he claims francis remember i never saw him before and i saw him to-day but for a moment i was not near enough to hear any words from his lips but those spoken to me and naturally i did not linger when i found that i could fairly run home he looks and acts in many respects like other men at least there is nothing in dress or manner that seems to claim distinction and yet he is not like others there is an air of quiet dignity which is forceful and at the same time winning and he gives one a sense of reserve power it almost seemed to me that he might be a prophet such as used to be in the long ago though i can't imagine any prophet quite like him and i do not think he has made any such claim 
i am compelled to say therefore that i do not know who or what he is i am sure only of this that whatever he says of himself i shall believe of course said francis simply how could one give less faith than that to the man who evidently lives to bless others and who has a power to do so which is certainly not like other men's margaret gave her sister a searching look that seemed also to be almost a startled one but she said not a word well said david at last himself making the movement to leave the table at which they had lingered long what is the next thing to be done remember i must be educated again for ordinary everyday life my own life has run in unusual grooves for so long that i suppose i have forgotten the routine this table is to be cleared is it not and the dishes disposed of that used to be the way i am sure dear old dining-room how well i remember it you were right francis about the bay window it is better on that side and is a great improvement it looks larger than i fancied it from the measurements you have no idea how much i have wished to see the new kitchen i could never decide just how it was arranged let's go and look at it he was making an evident effort to turn the channel of conversation to the safe level of everyday commonplaces for a little while in order to relieve the almost terrible strain of excitement under which the mother was struggling margaret caught his idea and helped it along the new kitchen she repeated as she sprang up to lead the way it lost that name long ago it is nearly three years since it was built a little later while margaret and his mother were both away david sought a word with his elder sister i saw philip to-day francis the flush on her face deepened but she spoke quietly did you where was he i did not know he had returned he came only yesterday he said and had been unusually busy but he hoped to get out by to-morrow i saw him there where the physician is staying it was he who helped make a way for me through the crowd he was not surprised to see me he said he had felt sure for some days that i would come and he was not surprised at the result the young man was watching his sister's face with care while he spoke as she passed near him in her work of setting the room to rights he put out his hand and drew her to him am i right francis he said speaking low in fancying that you did not share mother's and margaret's feeling about all this did you in your secret heart want me to see this wonderful man and did you almost believe that he could and would help me oh david i do not know what i thought or what i wanted i have never seen him you remember but we have heard such strange things and some of them come too direct to be discredited i could not help sometimes hoping that and yet i didn't she stopped abruptly i understand he said you felt what you were almost afraid to think and wanted what you were quite afraid to say it was very much my own frame of mind but for my four brave persistent friends i could not have brought myself to the decision but francis i thought possibly philip had told you some things about this man he has said francis earnestly oh he has told me a great deal but he is young and enthusiastic and i have been afraid there is father you know i know david answered and he stifled a rising sigh that seemed to belong to the words 
and smiled instead as he said, It seems wonderful that I can sigh over anything tonight. My dear sister, think what a night it is to me. I think of it every minute. I shall be afraid to go to sleep, lest it may be only a dream banished by morning. Only think of you standing here with your arm around me, and I actually leaning on you. It is no dream, he said with bright gravity, and will never be dispelled. Not even death can change it. I know, of course, that this glow of physical strength will not last always. My body will grow weak again, and the day will come when it will give out altogether. Let it. I am content. There was an unmistakable ring of triumph in his voice. Francis watched him earnestly, in silence. She was sure now of a something about him that she did not understand, and waited for his words. "'There is a part to my story that I have not been able to tell as yet,' he said. "'I think I can tell you. That is, I fancy that you will understand. I received something today that is infinitely more than bodily healing.' something that will last as long as eternity. How shall I put it into words? You know how it has been with me during the past year? I have tried to pray. Indeed, I may say that I have formed a habit of prayer, and I have believed, or at least hoped, that I was ready for death. But the way was very misty and gloomy. I had nothing like what might have been called comfort in the thought of another world the utmost that I reached was a sense of calmness in thinking of the inevitable. I wonder what you will think when I tell you the first words that that wonderful man said to me today. Your sins are forgiven. You may well start and exclaim. I know just how they thrill you. I felt that they had nothing whatever to do with this poor body with its aches and pains, or rather that they reached far beyond the body and earth and time. Francis, I felt within me immediately that the words were true, that I was a sinner forgiven, that I loved God with all my soul, and that my one desire in life was to obey him implicitly. I was not in the least prepared for what immediately followed. For the moment I had forgotten my body. I thought only of that man, and of my willingness to do just as he said. I felt simply amazement, because the first thing that he asked me was, not that I should show to the world what a triumphant death a forgiven sinner could die, instead I was to arise and walk. To die seemed so easy, so reasonable. For the first time in my life I was ready and willing, while to walk looked like such an impossibility that it might almost have staggered my faith. But it did not? Frances's face was a study as she asked her eager question. It did not. As I told you, I knew at once that I could do it. I knew more than that, Francis, that I could and would obey him whatever he asked. I was sure that under his direction I could do anything, and I proved it. It is almost too wonderful for belief, said Francis, yet we know that it is true. There can be no denying this case. Oh, David, have you thought that even father must believe in it? The last part of your story makes me certain that it is all of God, and that he uses this good man, whoever he is, as his instrument. If God uses him, surely we may trust him? Even Father will not be able to deny it. There was a pleading note in her voice that did not escape her brother's ear. His face grew suddenly grave, but he answered with decision. 
Certainly we may, Francis, you and I, and we will. But I want to warn you, dear, not to hope too much from father. He has reached the age when it is hard to accept new ideas, and there are reasons why he is peculiarly prejudiced against this movement. Remember how persistently he has closed his ears to statements that came to us as well authenticated as mine can be. I do not hope for encouragement from him, but for you and me, I had a few words with Philip today, as to what he had said to you about it, so I know I may speak plainly. There was not time for much conversation, he came but a few minutes before I succeeded in getting into the house. There was much buzzing about my ears at the time, to the effect that I ought to be taken home at once. Some were certain that the exposure and fatigue would kill me, that I would not even live to reach home. One man thought that the law ought to interfere and oblige them to take me away. Philip suddenly spoke out, in a voice loud enough to be heard at some distance, he is not going home, not until he sees the doctor. Then he bent over me and spoke low, let no persuasion tempt you to give it up, you will get in soon, a way will open, that you have been willing to come is almost too good for belief. Did Francis persuade you to it? No, said poor Francis, with something like a groan. I did not, I was too cowardly to do so. Yet you did, her brother answered, smiling. Your silence was so significant that it acted like a tonic. I understood it, dear, better even than you did. I told Philip so. Then I asked him if he had such utter trust in the man that he felt sure of any help for me. His reply was impressive. When you have seen him, you will wonder that you could have asked such a question. When he gave me the message for you, I told him I would give it if I reached home, and he replied confidently, You will get home, and I would give much to be there to see and hear. Evidently, Francis, he expected the result which followed. Very soon afterwards, a way was made for me into the physician's presence. I did not see Philip again, but I want to, to tell him how fully I understand what he meant. After seeing that man as I saw him, not to trust him would be impossible. Poor Francis could not suppress a little sigh. What is to come of it all? she asked sadly. If what you say of father is true, and then there is Philip's father, so different from ours, and yet so prejudiced in the same way. There is nothing but trouble in store for him if— What are you two talking about? interrupted Margaret's eager voice, as she appeared from the kitchen. Mother, here is Francis getting something that we have not heard, and that is not fair, is it? You must just go over everything you have said, David. We are not to miss one word. We are not to hear one word more to-night, said David, coming to meet his mother, and passing his arm about her in a way that he used to have as a boy. This dear mother has borne all that she can to-day. She ought to be sleeping. I suppose I shall sleep again some time, said Mrs. Holman, smiling, but it does not seem now as though I ever could. I am not tired. Joy has rested me. Yet she leaned on her tall son just for the joy of leaning. I thought of waiting up for your father, she added. I think he must certainly come home to-night, and it will soon be time to expect him. Then I will wait up for him with great delight. He laughed at her startled look. Why not, mother? 
I am perfectly well, you know. It would not be possible for a body to feel more thoroughly sound and strong than mine. She laughed aloud with delight. What a joy it was to hear such words from her David's lips. What would his father say? But she made haste to protest. Indeed, dear boy, you must go at once to your room. I can lie awake and wait for father as well as not. And don't you think that we ought to keep this blessed news from him to-night? He is not as young as he used to be, you know, and he will not sleep any to-night, I am sure, if he hears of it. End of chapter 4